when this record originally came out, I was writing for, and actually I think in this case I was editing Pitchfork. The peak of my involvement with Pitchfork was probably 2003 and most of 2004. You know, Mark was part of the original stable of, of writers. Um, he's been there all along. I have to say at the top that Mark is one of the only great voices Pitchfork's had. Whether you share or agree with his taste, you understand kind of quite a bit about Mark and his you know views on music if you read his writing. That to me is the hallmark of any writer worth reading, especially any music writer worth reading because there's way too many music writers, and uh, especially now. And back then, there were very few. So necessarily, there were even fewer good ones. You know, when the internet was kind of coalescing in the first half of the 2000s, nobody was thinking about writing for it. None of the major music magazines had websites. That's why Pitchfork is where it is. The main thing about Ryan Schreiber that I would say almost nobody realizes is he understood the necessity for daily content updates before anyone I know. We need to have four news stories and three or four reviews every day. Nobody could possibly imagine how we were gonna do that. It's not like it was a technical feat. I mean, you just needed to get the people together. Well, how are we gonna get people together? Because everybody was making pretty decent money freelancing and writing for Spin and Rolling Stone and looking down on the internet as a bunch of you know dipshit kids. And when they read our reviews, that opinion was completely reinforced because most of our reviews were fucking terrible. We didn't know that much about music because we were kids. How could we? The established music critic and, and just general pop and culture writer hegemony was not going to deign to even get any of the internet on them. Oh, it was disgusting. It was so embarrassing, the internet. It was a bunch of uncouth, unedited dipshits who didn't know anything, who didn't know how to you know, put a piece together, who didn't know what a nut graph was, who didn't know that there was another way to spell lead. Well, just as the churn of content that Ryan seized on as the driver for the internet started to drive attention to the internet, once the attention was there, the print magazines were no longer in charge. And so all of their little rules and all of their little symbols and all of their little catchphrases, all the internet content people stormed the gates of the ivory towers that all the editors and all the New York media writers were living in and looking down on them from, and now they use all the same terminology. It feels pretty good if you're Ryan to win that war. That's got to feel fucking great. The money doesn't hurt either. But I've, I've made plenty of noise about how, you know, I'm not going to do ads and I'm not going to even be on YouTube because of their advertising model. Well, I have a nine to five job. I've had a nine to five job since I was 22 in the same field. That's 15 years in. I have an advantage there with respect to how hard and how often I can flaunt my independence. And I do because I stayed independent for that reason. I'm not involved with music writing or music publications because the second I get involved with them, I'm not free to tell them to go fuck themselves. And I did that when I was writing with them. So, you know, I'm not gonna change who I am. Early on in Pitchfork, when nobody would advertise on the internet and nobody gave a shit about it, we were able to do that pretty freely. But, you know, the Pitchfork All-Stars, you know, you have Brent at the top, then you have Mark Richardson. Now, Mark and I would say Rob Mitchum were two of the real, like, cornerstone guys that were helping the foundation of this thing stay up because they were fair. Fairness is not something Pitchfork had in spades. 
We were incredibly young. We were juvenile. We were obnoxious. We were arrogant as hell, considering how little we knew about music. And there's a number of reviews that people have popularly pointed out that Ryan and company have since deleted because they were just so fucking embarrassing. Mark's run this review, and he's given the Disintegration Loops box set Pitchfork's highest rating, a 10.0. Back when we were still peers at Pitchfork, I had disagreements with Mark about William Basinski, about Keith Fullerton Whitman, and about Eckhart Ellers. He gave one of the Keith Fullerton Whitman albums a 9.7, there was also a ton of chatter about this Eckhart Ellers record, Plays. He has one song called Heroin that's great, and then he has this song that we all kind of stopped and, you know, froze time over. string arrangement at the beginning of Good Night from the White Album by the Beatles. In pure loop songs, while that loop insistently repeats itself and slightly folds or morphs or phases, you kind of f are forced to ruminate on why it's continuing to go on. The one in particular that I flipped out over, and I wrote a very long and relatively popular piece um, as a result of it, was the crescendo of the chorus of JoJo's Too Little Too Late. really bleary, sophisticated um, adulteration of that passage. And you think about all the different things that the line, be real, it doesn't matter anyway, can mean. You know, I mean, it's in the song, and in the song she's talking to some boy who's, you know, trying to get her to get back with him after he's been a jerk or something. So it's trying to be young and hip and say, be real, you know, it doesn't matter anyway, meaning like she's over it or she's over him. There's all these juvenile connotations to that line. But then, you know, when you start looping it and you start thinking about who Daniel Lopton is and where he's at, now you're thinking like, be real because it doesn't matter anyway, which is kind of like existential dread and nihilism and, you know, you should be honest because nothing really matters anyway. Those moments really send me things like that because that's partially because that's stuff I used to do. I mean, I was a quote unquote recording artist distributed by Darla on audio dregs. Audio Dregs is partially run by one of the guys from Ratatat, but mostly run by his older brother who I went to college with and was in a pop punk band with, The Mysterians. When Audio Dregs was starting up in like the late 90s, you know, they put out a seven inch of mine and then stuff I made on a Casio SK5 cut tape and really corny effects rigs in the college radio DJ booth, WSPN 91.1 FM. 
Saratoga Springs, New York. We did an album that got distributed by Darla, and then I did a 7-inch with Static Caravan, which was a pretty hip label at the time in the early 2000s in England, and uh, it got played on John Peel before John Peel died. That's my claim to fame as a musician. That's all I got. So I have this history with sampling music myself, uh, made on PC and using Goldwave and a lot of the tools that Daniel Lopetons talked about over the years. After that was all kind of over and I was going to focus more on writing than music, I was doing a lot of that with you know Mark and these other guys and gals, a couple. There's a lot more now, thankfully. I had had disagreements with Mark about how hyperbolically he was praising these ambient, you know, kind of loop records from artists that I thought were really generic. And the thing that drove me nuts today in this 10.0 review of William Basinski's Disintegration Loops is that Mark's kind of at it again. The whole thrust of the critical response and the popular adoration of this record is because of things he wrote on Pitchfork way back when, in 2001 or two, when this record came out. This record has a picture of the fucking World Trade Center on fire on the cover, but it was recorded before that happened. Now, William Basinski is only too eager to tell you that the day after he recorded it, the Twin Towers got hit, so that must fucking mean something, right? and he played it over his speakers while he watched them burning. Are you fucking kidding me? This dude stamps a fucking picture of the biggest tragedy in fucking American history, arguably, on the cover of his album, and suddenly we're supposed to lend him the gravity of that event for his bullshit loop music? I mean, this guy is your typical art con jackass. He's going around talking in these completely heady terms about what a fucking incredible, you know, coincidence of the universe this was that all these things happened at once and, you know, the light pours out of me. Get the fuck out of here. Plenty of people watched those towers burn. Some of them were listening to Wham, dude. It's so fucking disgusting to me that you're going to let this guy tell that story and sell that story. And he's going to end up performing it live? At MoMA? At a 10-year anniversary of the fucking attacks? Because Pitchfork sold everybody on the idea that it was legitimate for him to use those attacks to sell his art? It's one thing if you want to say, like, I think Keith Thornton Whitman's stuff is really cool. You go ahead and think that. That's fine. We can argue about it. I think Andrew Chalk and Alluvium, Matt Cooper, are much more interesting as ambient composers. I think they have a lot more to say in their music than almost anyone else has said since Wendy and Carl. The idea that William Basinski's stupid little process art bullshit is being remembered above and beyond Wendy and Carl's consciousness? This is people who don't care about music as much as they care about the story. 
The story is what gets the 10.0 here. If you listen to this and you know anything about music, the backstory is, oh, the Ferris magnetic tape was peeling off the reel. Dude, it has a fucking echo on it. There's a fucking post-affected digital reverb on this thing. It might even be like an Alesis wedge. This fucking thing is about as natural as a fucking Spice Girls song. But because the person who reviewed it didn't get any of that and didn't approach it from a critical vantage and instead bought in to the story and the artistic and societal, you know, release that they personally felt because they couldn't interpret it in the terms that I'm talking about. Suddenly, because Pitchfork's in the position it's in, everybody buys the story and everybody buys the legitimacy of the disintegration loops. If I go downstairs right now and I hold down middle C on my Roland RS09 string synth for half an hour and record it into Gold Wave and go to bed and I get up tomorrow and Iran's dropped a nuclear bomb on Israel. So I go out and I go to fucking Getty Images and I get some stock picture of an A-bomb going off and I put that on the cover of my fucking limited edition fucking green vinyl 12 inch that I'm gonna put out and then what, I'll write Hebrew on it to make it even more legit. I mean, this kind of fucking appropriation and co-option of really tragic, hugely important events in human history for some half-assed process art piece by some, you know, loft guy, it's not bad. I'll listen to it, but I can't get over the fucking echo pops on it. They're so cheesy. They're just cheesy. It sounds like fucking Fisher-Price microphone with the echo turned on. Now, Mark, I love you, baby, but you're fucking wrong. There's just nothing critical going on in your write-up. There's nothing critical going on in anything anyone has said about this fucking record. It's just everyone falling on their fucking knees to worship at the altar of this singular representation of 9-11. I don't know. You know, I got a lot of love for Mark. I've sent Mark plenty of emails directly when he's written something that's touched me. And I fucking love his Tumblr and I love how honest he is about himself and his life. Being in the position that he's in, he has every reason to be a bit more guarded and he's not. And that's fucking ballsy. And a lot of the stuff he's done in his life is really ballsy. But on this particular issue, because of the impact this has on the history of pop music in my lifetime and on the kids who you know, are learning about pop music through people like me and Mark, it does upset me and I feel compelled to put you know, a contrary viewpoint out there. Mm -hmm.